Today is Pathfinder Day. The Pathfinder Club is a youth organization that's sponsored by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This year, 2010, is a very unique year because it's the 150th anniversary of the name Seventh-day Adventist. What does Seventh-day Adventist mean? Seventh-day Adventist means that we keep the Seventh-day Sabbath and we're looking forward to the second coming of Christ. On October the 1st, 1860, in Battle Creek, Michigan, the name was selected Seventh-day Adventist. And for those of us here who know about church history, yesterday, October 22nd, 1844, was a very unique period in the development of the Advent movement. And by the way, if you look at your bulletins, you'll notice that you'll see Pathfinder Diamond Jubilee. Guess what? The Pathfinder Club is celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. The Pathfinder Club was established in 1950. And so this year is our Diamond Jubilee. The North American Division has designated this Sabbath, October the 23rd, to highlight the Pathfinder Club ministry in the United States, Canada, and Bermuda. Today, over 30,000 Pathfinder Clubs operate in over 120 countries, and we have our own club here in the Abundant Life Church. To speak to us is our Pathfinder Youth Director from the Nevada Utah Conference, Pastor David Solomon Hall. Pastor Hall is no stranger to us. He's been here many times, and it's a distinct privilege to have him speak to us. For those of us who are visiting, Pastor Hall is a graduate of Oakwood College and Andrews University, where he received his master's in youth ministry. But before Pastor Hall speaks to us today, we'll have another sacred selection from our Abundant Life Children's Choir, after which the next voice you'll hear will be that of our Pathfinder Youth Director of the Nevada Utah Conference, Pastor David Solomon Hall. Thank you.
test, test, test. That was beautiful, wasn't it? Amen, amen, amen. It is good to be in a place where young people are loved and appreciated and given so many opportunities to participate in service. And when they were singing, yes, Lord, yes, one of my favorite songs, I, I, I forgot where I was and my spirit was encouraged because I had been a little down and I, I just thank you young people for uh, those that chose the song and those that sang the song. Thank you. It was extraordinary. Thank you. It is a privilege for me to be here today with you. I look forward to any opportunity I have to come back and to be able to come back on what the North American Division has deemed as Pathfinder Day is truly, truly a blessing for me. I thank you, Dr. Rock, just for being you. You know, when I'm, when I'm in situations there throughout the conference, I, I think to myself, WWDRD, what would Dr. Rock do? And then I just imagine in my mind how you would handle it. I told you once that I just admire watching you walk and how you articulate things so well. And when I grow up, I want to be like you. And I praise God for your ministry and your dear wife, Sister Rock, who, who a few months ago or several months ago, yeah, my wife is telling me that too, Sister Rock said some very good words of counsel and wisdom, and when I get a chance to talk to you, I'm going to tell you, Sister Rock, how your wisdom really benefited our lives. We appreciate your ministry, Pastor Lee Wars, and all that you do with the young people. You are greatly appreciated, a highly valued member of the team, you and your wife, how you work together so well. Thank you very, very much. Adrian. You are a man amongst men, and I personally appreciate you. I'm going to say a little bit more in a few seconds, but I personally appreciate you a great deal. I do want to take 30 seconds just to say a few things about what's going on in the conference, then we'll get into the message for today. In addition to the responsibilities that were mentioned, I'm also responsible for several other departments in the conference, one of which is men's ministry. Our men's ministry retreat is next weekend. We solicit your prayers as we bring our men together throughout the conference. Service is our calling, is our theme. Uh, the former pastor of this church, I believe, Pastor Bill Pinnock, will be the speaker for the men's retreat there in California. We solicit your prayers. I noticed just outside that you had two posters up for the Pacific Union Children and Family Ministry Conference. We are anticipating a good turnout. If you have children and family ministry leaders that are interested in going, please, you can talk to me afterwards or see the information on the screen or on the uh, poster, I should say. A good time is promised for all. Also, Kid University will be coming to our conference, training our children's leaders how to teach their children how to be disciples for Jesus. Initially, 
the cost for each church was $1,800 to send four people to this meeting. That's $1,800, not $18, $1,800. Now, I know that that may not be much for you, but when that was mentioned to me, I said, wow, that's a lot of money. Well, through prayer and fasting and dialogue, we have brought that down to a grand total, whoa, <laughs> it fell off. A grand total of zero, help me out here. A grand total of zero dollars through sponsorship, thank you, with, through the conference and the union. So you will get information about that. They are asking that at least four people from every church, it will be in Las Vegas. The conference event will be in Las Vegas. We are bringing in specialists. We are asking that four persons that are involved in children's ministry and a pastor, one of your pastors, come. It'll be an all-day Friday, Sabbath, Sunday event, January 14 through 16, but it is free and it has benefited so many throughout the country and we're just privileged that they'll be able to come here. On tomorrow, I'll be meeting with youth leaders throughout the valley as we continue to plan the Las Vegas area-wide youth young adult rally, January 22 and 23, 2011. We're excited about that. Manny Cruz, the Associate Director of Youth Ministry for North American Division will be our speaker. I want to tell you as a church family, I got two more things, then I'm going to preach. That's all right. But I got to say this. I want to tell you thank you because you supported the family ministries event that we had. So many couples from this church came, and I appreciated that. And I'm sure those of you that came, you had a blessed time. I could tell by the smiles on your faces and how you cuddled just a little closer with your spouse. And, and some of you, you even left with smiles on your faces. That was all right. So we appreciated that. We are looking at having another one in the fall of next year, only it will be in Lake Tahoe in California. I went this week and looked at the place. It's going to be nice by the grace of God. I also want to thank you for trust, entrusting your children to us for summer camp this past year. They say that 25% of young people that go to summer camp, you can tell generally out of however many you have, one-fourth of them will accept Jesus Christ as a result of their experience there. And this year was no different. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you made and in trusting my wife, she drove, and you trusted her to drive your children from here to Utah and back, and they made it too. Amen. Amen. And I'm hoping, because the camp will be up in the northern part of this state, July 3 through 10, in California, thank you, wife, in California, I said this state, you're right, in California. I'm hoping that you'll trust again so that your young people will have a continued good time. Finally, as far as Pathfinders are concerned and adventurers, we have a camporee planned June 16 through 19. I went, it was this week, wasn't it? Okay, what, it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. 
Adrian serves as the district coordinator for the southern part of this state. And we praise God for his ministry in that. And we were looking at facilities to see where we would have the camporee. Adrian sits on the advisory and he is a strong advocate because he has said, we have it in Utah all the time. Not part of the time, not some of the time, but all of the time. And he made that very clear that he wanted it to not be in Utah. So much so that he found places where it could be here. Praise God and, and encouraged us, me strongly to come and check out those places. And so with his persistence, we will, I have to sign the papers and all that, you understand. But we're, it seems as though it will be just an hour or so away in Logandale, and we praise God for that. So your club, you will be excited about that, and you don't have to travel as far, and the cost won't be as much, which is a good thing, because as we were driving back from the camp, I received a phone call. We've long been trying to get a union-wide camporee done again. The youth directors of the various conferences have confabbed together, and this Tuesday coming, we are going to put things in place so that next year there will be a union-wide camporee, and the people from Hawaii will be flying over here to be a part of it too. And so I'd love to see as many of your young people there as possible. That's it for that. Uh, it's good to be here with you. I'm so privileged to have my lovely wife, Connie, here with me. We have not traveled together in a long time. So this is the first Sabbath that you actually get to hear me preach. I hope I do okay, because <laughs> I see you're looking at me already, and I haven't even said anything. But we praise God, praise God. It's been a beautiful Sabbath with the dedication of Ryan James Carson Johnson, the participation of all the young people. It's just been a high and holy day, and our prayers that that will continue not only through this service, but throughout the afternoon and the afternoon service as well. If you have your Bibles, please join me in turning to the book of Luke. Luke, the seventh chapter. And I'd like for us to consider this afternoon verses 19 through 23. Luke chapter seven. And I will read in your hearing from the New King James Version of the Bible, verses 19 through 23. It reads, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look 
for another, verse 21. And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I invite you to pray as we talk on the topic, looking for another. Let's pray. And now, God, our Father, in your word it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And truly today has been a day to bring you joy for our children are walking and learning and reciting things about you. We praise your name for that. And now, Lord, we just ask you to linger by here just a little while longer. Give us the blessing that we need and may our worship be pleasing to you as well. For we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite persons in the Bible is John the Baptist. I relate to him in many ways. His parents were much older when he was born. I was raised by my great-grandmother. He brought joy to the lives of his family. She smiled whenever I was around, so I think I brought some joy. He was a bit of a loner. I was that way growing up. And he was called to do something very special during perilous times. And I am so honored to be able to do the same thing. Yes, John the Baptist is one of my favorite people in the Bible. And his story sounds so promising when it gets started. But in our passage for this afternoon, we find John the Baptist not out preaching somewhere, not baptizing people, but we find John the Baptist in prison. And the prisons back then, they were not like uh, uh, the prisons we have today. They were holes in the ground where you would just drop and they, they had just a little spot so you could look up and get some light. When you were in prison then, you were in prison. You could not go around and, and exercise or whatever prisoners. No, you were in prison. Prison. And when you were in that prison, you could even, maybe it's the spot then, I don't know. When you were in that prison, you couldn't walk around. You, you, you might even have noises coming when you walk around. I don't know. But you couldn't walk around or do anything because you were chained to the wall. And not only were you chained to the wall, when they dropped your food down. I don't know what's happening. When they dropped your food, help me out somebody. When they dropped your food down. 
if it didn't, all of it didn't reach you, you couldn't get everything. And there were other things there in that prison. Test, test. There were rodents in the prison. And I'm not talking about Mickey Mouse, or Mighty Mouse, or Jerry. I'm talking about serious rats were in the prison. And here, our man in the story is in prison, chained to the wall with rats fighting him for his own food. Where he was once free to come and go as he pleased, he now finds himself in prison, chained to the wall fighting over his food with rats. And in prison, they, they did not have the septic systems that we have today. You see, he was chained to the wall, which meant he could not walk around. So when he had to go, he went. Chained in prison. The miasma of the air, completely different than what he was accustomed to in the wilderness. Battling over food with rats, this man of God is in prison. Unable to do what he's been called to do. Sometimes in life, it can throw you a curveball. You think you're riding high. You think things are going well. And suddenly you find yourself in prison. The prison of unemployment. The prison of foreclosure and bankruptcy and repossession. The prison of your children not responding to the things the way that you hoped they would. You find yourself trapped unable to do anything because like John the Baptist, you are in prison. Surrounded by filth with the mice almost reminding you, squeak, 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 where is your God now? And then John's disciples came by. The Bible says, if you look a little earlier in John chapter 7, you will see that he healed a centurion's servant. And then several verses later, you see that Jesus raised from the dead the son of the widow of Nain. Walking past the casket, touched it, dude jumped out. Imagine if you were at that funeral. They might have to have mine if somebody jumped out. And all these things are coming back to John. I can imagine the disciples looking in that little thing. They're peering down, seeing the man they followed. Trapped in prison. They knew that he had said, he must increase and I must decrease. But they had no idea that the decretion would be this bad. They had no idea when he said, I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandal, just how unworthy seemingly he would be. Jesus is going around doing all these things 
But it seems as though he forgot about you, John. Now that things are going well for his ministry, now that things are going well for him, look at where he left you. And you said that he was the Messiah. The belief then was that the Messiah would be the one that would overtake the Roman army and restore Israel to where they were supposed to be in their minds. You said he was the Messiah. Well, he's not doing Messiah-like stuff. And I don't know if I would want to follow him if he's going to treat the loyal people like he's treating you. And so the disciples have doubts. And they're saying all these things to John. Sometimes you got to be careful who you listen to. Because those very ones that are your friends, they're not really saying anything that's that encouraging. I saw the movie uh, uh, The Wiz when I was younger. And Eveline said on there, don't nobody bring me no bad news. We ought to have that kind of mentality. If you don't have nothing positive to say, you ought not say nothing at all. We are called to lift our brothers and sisters up. Not, well... But that's what they were doing with John. And John had some doubts himself, but he didn't want to spread it amongst the others. Sometimes you got to keep, if you have something going on, if it won't benefit the other person, some things just need to be between you and God. You don't have to tell everybody what's going on in your life because it may not be edifying for everybody. Some things you just have to keep between you and God. And John had been praying, but he did have some doubts. Because after all, he was in a hole in the ground, chained to a wall in his own excrement and filth battling with rats over food and hearing stories of how Jesus is doing all of this and forgot about him. So he says to his disciples, go and ask him, is he the one that should come? Mainly for their sake, but John had an iota. He needed filled too. Go ask him, are you the one? Or should we look for another? And I can imagine John's disciples were happy at this chance. Because they had been wanting to confront Jesus anyway. His church was growing too fast. Everybody was leaving us going over there to him. And he's just a fraud. We got something to say to you, Jesus. And I bet they went over there with a little attitude. Our leader in prison and you up walking around. I imagine Jesus was in the middle. This is my imagination. When you're bald-headed, you can use your imagination. So you agree with me, brother. Amen for bald-headed people. <laughs> Everybody ought to try it at least once. Go on, Pastor Lewis. That's all right. I can imagine that he walked up. Uh, they walked up. Jesus maybe in the middle of healing somebody. And they just bogart everything. 
John Baptist, King James Version, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? Just being downright rude. Art thou he that should come? Basically saying, you a fraud. Art thou he that should come? If not, tell me now. Because I'm going to start looking for somebody else. Because I don't like the way this thing is headed. They bogart him. Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? There are times in our experience when we approach Jesus the same way. And the Bible says that Jesus did not respond to them right away. Sometimes Jesus does not respond to us right away. And we get frustrated. It seems like we pray and our, pr our prayers hit the ceiling and come back down. And we say to him, art thou he that should come? When we go to the doctor and get the diagnosis that we did not want to hear, either for us or for somebody else, we may ask the question, art thou he that should come? I thought when I joined this church, life was going to be easy. I thought you were only a prayer away. I thought if I came to the altar for special prayer, I thought if I plunked it down on plunk it down day, I thought if I lifted up your children, I thought if I said and did all the right things, this was not supposed to happen to me. Art thou he that should come? Or should I look for another? And there are plenty of another's that you can look for. I was driving here and I saw this sign that said DJ Bill. Or you were driving here. My wife frowned at me. You were driving here. You were driving. I was riding here as my wife drove. And I saw this sign that said DJ Bimbo, uh, Bimbo R&B and hip hop party tonight on the roof of the Hustler building. I'm like, whoa, all right. But that's somebody that has something empty inside. That's somebody who, who, who does not have that thing that can fill you up. That's somebody that's completely empty. That's somebody that's looking for another. When God doesn't move as quickly as we think he should, we get distracted. And we can find things to fill that void. We can find the fruit of the vine. And the herb of the field, uh-huh, uh-huh, to take you on a high like none other. Art thou he that should come because I'm going to look for another. We can find that computer screen and we can flip through so many things in our empty lives looking for another. We find ourselves in the arms of some man or some woman. Thinking that this one will be different from all 12 other ones I had. 
because he actually said, I love you. And bought some flowers to boot. But then I find out he got six kids with six different women and two other boy girlfriends and a boyfriend. And I feel empty inside because I've been pursuing something that does not fill me. Looking for another. Young people that may not get all of it at home, but that person at school pays them attention. Filling a void as they look for another. Some people uh, get fulfillment on the job. They work 16, 20 hours a day just for someone to say good job. Some people even do that in the church. I want to be elder, deacon. I lead out in this and that and that. Looking for things to bring intrinsic satisfaction because they are trapped in a prison. Feeling empty inside and seemingly the God of this earth is ignoring them when they ask the question, art thou he that should come? Because I want to look for another. Jesus didn't say a word. You ever been ignored before? I was raised by Lillian Hall. She was 60 years older than me. She was born in 1910. And so her grandparents were slaves and they remembered some of that stuff. And so it passed down into her being born in 1910. And she just had a different philosophy of life than most parents do. She just did things differently. Let's just say that we don't do today. <laughs> And one of the things she said was, don't you ever ignore me when I'm talking to you. Because if you don't, you don't, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. She just said, don't do it. Or you won't ever have to say anything else ever again. <laughs> That's what she said in her own way. And you know, train up a child in the way he should go. I don't like it. When people ignore me, I get upset because I think you disrespected me. I go to talk to you and you go act like you don't see me. That's rude. It's rude when it happened on the outside of the church and it's rude. It's rude when it happens on the inside of the church too. So Jesus ignored them. And I think they got mad. See, we really were insignificant to him. I think they must have asked him again. Did you hear me? King James Version. Art thou he that should come? Jesus didn't have time for all that foolishness. There was a blind person here that had earnestly come to seek him. And he was touching their eyes, giving them the ability to see. 
while John's disciples were still mad, unable to see all the blessings that were going on around them. There, there, there was a deaf person whose ears he was touching, giving them the ability to hear. There was a lame person, a leper, someone dead. Jesus was doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, but they stood on the sidelines, ignoring what all was taking place. Because he didn't act the way they wanted him to act. Sometimes Jesus doesn't act the way we want him to act. So we sit there. I don't care if you have testimony service. This one get up. The Lord really blessed. I don't want to hear it because he hadn't done it for me. So we can't get the blessing vicariously because it isn't happening to us. We are like John's disciples. We are on the sidelines mad. Wanting to look for another. That's why we can't sing when we go to church. Churches used to be a place that was vibrant. You could feel something when you walked in. You could go know that at least one day out of the week, your spirits could get lifted. But now we walk in and we barely move our lips. None of this praise God from whom all blessings flow is praise. Or because we just be moving our lips so people won't know we not singing because the kids looking at us. But inside it just ain't there. Looking for another. Ignoring what's going on around. I was there. I was there. I was there, 1988, I was a freshman at Oakwood. I was 18 years old, studying for the ministry because God wanted me to go into the ministry and I didn't want to. And so I stopped going to church. I took classes to study how to be a minister. <laughs> But I didn't go to church for months. Back then, they used to check your room at Oakwood to make sure everybody got out. I felt so bad as a theology major hiding under the bed and in the closet. <laughs> I, I felt guilty every week. But I did it. Because there was a fundamental thing inside of me that just wasn't happening. And I said, I might as well stop pretending. I ain't going. And I stayed in my room week after week. I only picked up the Bible because I had to for class. Sabbath school lesson. Psh. Offering. Well, I was paying my money to Oakwoods. So I figured that was going to the Lord. And I just sat there looking for another. When I got sick, when my great-grandmother died, when tragedy struck, and I was struck at my core, 
God tested the limits of my faith. I was in the prison, chained to the wall, trapped with my own filth and things grabbing at my necessities. And I asked the question, are you really the one? And because I had such an inward focus, I couldn't see what was going on around. Because when you're going through something, all you can do is think about yourself. Jesus could have just blasted him. He could have just said, you know, you're rude. I got some healing to do. And I bet the people that were going to get healed would have gladly ushered them away so they could get their thing going on again. But Jesus sees us where we are. I'm so glad that he looks beyond my faults and he sees my need. Jesus found them where they were and he just went around healing and touching people and doing the right thing. He spent the entire day doing that. Sitting there so they could watch and see him at work. And they had no other alternative but to just sit and watch Jesus at work. I took this class at Andrews, Dr. Rock. Spiritual formation. They said I needed to get in touch with the Lord. I was studying for the ministry. I felt I was in touch with the Lord. And they said, get this, get this, get this. I had to go in the woods in this, for this retreat with no media, don't even use my phone, for three whole days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no internet, no nothing, so I can walk and look at trees and animals or something and commune with God. And then I'd meet with them, what did you learn about God today? <laughs> and I was mad. There was somebody, they said, that I had a problem with in my life. And they said, imagine them as this tree when you're walking and see how the Lord would grow the tree and how he will grow forgiveness in you. And then afterward, so David, what did you do? I chopped down the tree. <laughs> I just wanted to get out of there. I wanted an A, but I wanted to get out of there because I was losing my mind. It's hard sometimes to come aside and rest a while when you got stuff to do. But Jesus forced them to. They weren't leaving until they got an answer. Jesus continued healing people. And I think something in them started to change. Because then he could have the confidence to tell them, go your way. Tell John the things that you have seen and heard. How the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the mute are able to speak. To the poor, the gospel is being preached. And tell him, blessed is he that is not offended in me. They went to John and gave him that message. And in his mind, he remembered the role of the Messiah, 
what the Messiah was supposed to do. And that was it. God wants you to remember your role in the story. Remember his role in the story. And let that be it. Because we want to be one of the blessed that is not offended in him. It's 1987. This is my favorite story. I tell it all the time because I just love this story. I'm about to tell you. He asked me, what is it? <laughs> I'm going to tell you. 1987, I was a senior in high school. I was 17 years old. My wife said, and I was going to meet her real soon. Amen. I was a senior in high school, and I ran cross country for the Bridgeton High School Bulldogs. My 10th grade year, we won the championship. My 11th grade year, we went undefeated and won the championship. And my 12th grade year, come on now, I wanted a championship banner, because that was important to me. I wanted to leave that school and have the championship banner and know that I was a part of it. We started practice July 5th. It was 110 degrees outside. The season didn't start till September. But every day he would have us running and running and running and running and running in that heat. Because he said it would make us better. If you want to be champions, this is what you have to do. We're going to have to work harder this year, he said. Because our rival Vineland had mysteriously gotten the best runner in the state without his parents or the rest of his family to move there. And the coach so graciously had an extra room for him to stay in. Went against every rule that we knew, but somehow that worked and they were our chief rivals. And our coach wanted us to get the jump on them. So each day, each day, we practiced through July. We practiced through August. School started in September. We practiced. The season starts, and we're running, and we're beating everybody, and they're beating everybody. And then we run against Absagami High School on their beach, on their boardwalk, in the pouring rain where the sand is soggy. And suddenly, Bridgeton High School has one loss. Absagami has one loss. Vineland is undefeated. Last race of the season. Vineland came to us. They win, that's it. But if we beat them, and they were better than us, if we beat them, we'll have a runoff. The gun goes off, the race starts. Their star runner is so far ahead, it's not even funny. And it looked like we were going to lose. Until their star runner missed the sign that said, finish line this way. And our fans encouraged him as he ran past it because we support everybody. 
And they told him, go, go, go. And he went, went, went until he ended up in the parking lot. <laughs> and only then did he realize his error. But by then, <laughs> it was a little too late. And Vineland had one loss. Three weeks later, or two weeks later, was going to be the runoff, the championship. And I remember our coach. He did something that to this day, and if you don't remember anything else that I've said, I want you to remember what I'm about to say in the next few seconds. He did something that carries me through life today. He took us. He took us to this strange place. And he said, no, he took, you know, we were at our, our thing. And we had this great big hill in our city. And he would stand there at the top of the hill with a stopwatch. And you had to get to the top of the hill in so many seconds or else you got to stand next to him while the rest of the team ran up and down the hill as fast as they could 10 times. And when you got to the top of the hill, here it comes. You had to say, thank you, Hill. That was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. I'm tired. I'm going to thank some Hill. But he said, if you didn't say it, then you got to stand next to him and watch the rest of your teammates. run. So you saw brothers running up that hill. Thank you, Hill. And they'd be falling out on the hill. We could not understand. Come on, David. We could not understand why he would have us to do this. Until the day of the race came. We're on a neutral field. Our bus pulls up and Vineland High School, oh man, Vineland High School gets out and they're taunting us. They're saying things, <laughs> come on David, they're, they're saying things about, about us on the bus. And we brothers were just sitting there because the coach said, don't even look at them. Just take it. And there's some things you just don't want to take. You know what I'm saying? But we just sat there and took it as they called us everything. The race starts and their star runner didn't make any bad turns this time. Nor did the rest of their team. It looked as though we were going to lose. It looked as though we were forgotten in the prison with rats and in our own filth. It looked as though it was over. Until we got, until we got to a hill. And when we saw that hill, we could just in our mind's eye imagine this chubby coach standing at the top with a stopwatch saying, you better get up here as fast as you could. And we brothers started picking it up and putting it down, picking it up, putting it down, picking off Absagami runners, picking off Vineland runners. And when we got to the top of the hill, we looked at the hill and said, thank you, hill. How many of you know that sometimes that very thing that God may put into your life, that very hill, that very obstacle may just be the thing to help you accomplish what it is you've been trying to accomplish all the time. God is in it after all. He does 
know what he's doing. So when you go through something in life, you ought to look at that hill. Count it all joy when you go through trials and diverse temptations. You ought to look at that hill, stare in the face and say, thank you, hill. Because I'm going to use this thing to get better. Thank you, Hill. That that doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. Thank you, Hill. They don't know that the more stuff you put on us, the stronger we get. We can rise above it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not stuck there. I know there's a beginning and an ending to this thing. Thank you, Hill. There were four more of those hills in that race. The race is 3.1 miles long. Somebody said, uh. That's what I said, too. It's like, why am I doing this? This is crazy. But after the first championship, I said, okay, I can handle it. That day I was dog tired. Everybody was. Season should have been over. But we kept going. We kept going. We kept going. Even though it looked as though we weren't going to be successful, we kept going. The end of the race. My coach. Ball, no, he walks up to us. Brothers in the circle. He walks up to us and he says, and he balls up the score sheet to let you know who won. He threw it on the ground. Stomped it. And stormed off. The cats were crying, man. We'd been practicing since July 5th. We sat on that bus while... They... <laughs> Brothers was getting mad. The thought that they had won and they cheated. The thought that they taunted us and they had won just didn't seem right. And we just sat there in prison like John, not even knowing what to do. But then coach turned around and he walked back. And he looked at us as he went in the center of that circle. And he said to us, well, how do you feel? Nobody said nothing. He asked again, how do you feel? Nobody said anything. Then he said, he said, how do you feel? being the 1987 Cape Atlantic League Division I champions. How do you feel? And suddenly, oh Jesus, suddenly our joy, our sadness was turned to joy. Suddenly our disappointment was turned into great and thrilling moments. Oh, what a day that was. And we went to Vineland's bus. And we marched around it, two by two in military formation. 
From C to C, from C to C, Bridgeton got the victory. And then we did it again. From East to West, from East, Bridgeton High is the best. And we marched around. And that day I will never forget because there is a lesson in that one day. The one who, who caused us to look for another. One day, that, that very devil that brought those hills in our life. One day, uh, that one who put us in the prison. One day, he's going to be sitting on that bus with all those people that tried to make your life miserable. He's going to be on that bus with all those situations, all those trials, all those things that overwhelmed you and made you cry and have sleepless nights. And you and me, we're going to march around that bus because we chose not to look for another. We're going to march around that bus with Jesus. Oh, with Jesus at the head of that bus. Saying from sea to sea, Jesus got the victory. From east to west, Jesus Christ is the best. And we're not just going to stop marching around that bus. We're going to keep on marching and marching, marching on up to Zion. To be with our Lord. We don't have to ask the question. Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Because we know the end of the story. We know how this thing is going to end. We know, we know, if you could play something for me. We know. I don't read any books unless I know how it ends. I don't watch nothing unless I know. If I get a DVD, I watch the last chapter of it. And fast forward to the last five minutes. I'm that way. When it came to this Jesus thing, I didn't want to start in the end of beginning. I wanted to know what happened in the end. To see if this was something I really wanted to do. And because I know the end of the story. I don't care what the devil throws my way or your way. I don't care how hard it gets. I know the road is rough, the going is tough, and those hills, whoo, Jesus, are so hard to climb. But I started out, Dr. Rock, such a long time ago. There is no doubt in my mind I decided to make Jesus my choice. Do you want to choose Jesus today? You ain't saying nothing out there. Do you want to choose Jesus today? I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And if something I say in this prayer resonates with you, then I invite you to stand as I get to that part. Father, in the name that is above every other name, we give you praise. Lord, <laughs> the devil is busy. He's trying to discourage us. He's trying to make this economy overwhelm us. He's doing all sorts of things. But Lord, I'm so glad for the text that says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
And I'm so glad that we read the rest of the story. I'm so glad we know how this thing is going to end. But right now, Lord, we're, we're in the emphasy stages. We're in chapter 2. And this story got 59 chapters in it. And it's hard to see to the end. If there's anybody in here who it's hard to see to the end, I'm going to invite you to stand at this time. Father God, our eyes are closed, but you see, there's some of us in here, myself included. I'm on chapter 1.5. Sometimes it's hard to see through the end. So for those that are standing, for those that responded, Jesus, I ask for an extra unction, an extra dose of your Holy Spirit. If you're not going to move the mountain, then I ask in Jesus' name that you give the strength to climb this mountain so that when we get to the top, we can say thank you, Hill. Then there are those of us that are further along if you're in that category, stand to your feet. And then those that are closer to the end. Lord, it's hard. And every time somebody rolls up on us and say, I thought you were a Christian. I thought that wasn't supposed to happen to you. Lord, we're like John. And we need to know. So I ask Jesus that you will reveal to us here today, right now, that we need not look for another. John the Baptist was fine when he understood what it was you were doing. And even though he lost his life six months later, you said of him, there was no other man born of a woman greater than him. And his future was so much greater than his past. Lord, make that so for us. Whatever we're going through right now, Jesus. Right now, Jesus. Right now. At this very millisecond even. Whatever you have to do in us. Do it. Do it. And we long for the day when there won't be any more races to run. We long for the day when there won't be any more prisons trapping us in our circumstances. We long for the day when we see Jesus.